Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. everyone and welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Well, all of a sudden we are a full week into April and have the NFL draft hurtling toward us at 100 miles an hour. It's only about three weeks away and it promises to be one of the more unpredictable drafts we've had in recent years due in large part to the pandemic related cancellation of the NFL scouting combine. Uh, so this is going to be very, a very draft-centric episode of Fits on Fantasy, not entirely dedicated to the draft and the rookie class of 2021, but largely dedicated to it. And what better person to discuss the incoming rookies with me than Mr. Ray Garvin? He is the creator of Destination Devi, co-host of the Breakout Finder podcast on the Roto Underworld co-host of the Fantasy Pros Dynasty Football Podcast, and of course, a legendary former shutdown cornerback for Chadron State. Find him on Twitter at RayGQ. Great to have you back, Ray. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, you are a mess. I am far from legendary Uh, so far, but that was an awesome intro, man. This is uh, my second time on the show. I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk to you. And again, best intro I've ever received. Don't be modest now, Ray. I know they used to call you the warden because you had so many receivers (laughs) on lockdown. (laughs) Oh, I wish. I wish I was that good. Uh, So yeah, Ray, we are just three weeks away from the NFL draft. And all right, we've got Trevor Lawrence headed for the Jags at number one. And the Jets pretty clearly locked in on Zach Wilson at number two. I guess the drama could begin when the 49ers go on the clock at number three with a pick they recently acquired via trade. Who do you think the 49ers are taking at pick three? Uh, right now, I'd, I'd say 70-30, Mac Jones to Trey Lance. And I know a lot of, of people want Justin Fields and or Trey Lance, but you know there is a lot of smoke surrounding Jones. And what I say is, Either it's the worst kept secret or they're doing one of the best smoke screens that we've seen. But I just don't think NFL teams are that smart to hide it that well. So I think there is a lot of validity to them potentially drafting Mac Jones at three. Yeah. So I think Adam Schefter said uh, either today or yesterday that he would be surprised if it wasn't Mac Jones at this point. So if you can, if you can drop a smoke screen on Schefter, you're doing pretty well. Like that's a major subterfuge. Um, so, I mean, is that the right move? Like, I know you've been pretty high on Mac Jones. You were kind of in on him as a first round possible first round guy since last fall when few people were thinking of him as one. I mean, what do you like most about his game? And and do you think he's worthy of the number three pick? 
So, yes, I've I've since last fall I've been pretty adamant that Mac Jones would be a first round quarterback. Um, even when a lot of people thought that was crazy, I was like, hey, he's going to be a first round pick. Like you can see it. And for me, I, I try not to complicate the game. Uh, I try to simplify it as much as possible. And Mac was good. Mac had a Joe Burrow-esque season in one fewer game. I mean, over 4,500 passing yards, 40 TDs, sets the NCAA completion percentage record, sets the NCAA uh, QBR held by Joe Burrow. I mean, he played a perfect season. I don't understand why people don't think he's good. I, I really believe, Pat, that I think the issue that's clouding everything about this is I think there are a couple of things. One, we built Tua up to be this crazy type prospect. Even I was super high on him, and he didn't really live up to that in his rookie season. And I know he was coming off of a hip injury. Then you've got the fact that it's just Mac Jones. He wasn't a highly rated recruit. His body is not sculpted like a Justin Fields. He just kind of looks regular. Um, But I, I can't account for the fact that if a team trades up to take him, then I guess he was worth it for that team. Uh, we we see every year these quarterbacks and these players that we are just so hell bent are going to be home run hits, not produce. And you know it's I don't want to go to this extreme, but last year people thought the Chargers were crazy for like Justin Herbert. Like nobody wanted Justin Herbert going into the draft. Very few people were were high on him, and look how that turned out. So um, I just don't think Mac Jones is nearly as bad as people are making him seem, and. If if Schefter puts it out there, Schefter isn't just tweeting just stuff out just to do it. Yeah, I mean, it was more than a month ago that I had Alex Dunlap of Roster Watch on the podcast. And, uh, you know, Alex and, and the other Roster Watch guys have been going to senior bowls like every year for I don't know how long, like almost a decade. And they said Mac Jones had the best senior bowl of any quarterback they'd ever seen. And not just making pinpoint throws, but just the intangibles, the way he came in with this completely unfamiliar playbook and just kind of, you know, directing his wide receivers where they needed to be on every play, like just totally in command from the start. And they were just kind of blown away by it. And um, so, yeah, man, at, at this point, I guess it's not shocking, although I do agree if it's not Mac Jones, it would be Trey Lance. but. I don't know, Ray. It just seems like Justin Fields is sliding. And we don't know that he will slide yet, but it feels like it. And the narratives for it are bullshit, right? I mean, we we already had Dan Orlovsky walk back this criticism about Fields not being a hard worker, which his coaches at Ohio State said was untrue. And there's also this knock on him being a slow processor. I mean, do do you buy any of that one at all? No, and to be honest with you, Pat, I don't even buy Mac Jones over Justin Fields. In my personal rankings, I have Justin Fields and Trey Lance ahead of Mac Jones. If it if it weren't for the smoke, that's what's I mean, that's I'm not ignoring that. You know, you can people can call me crazy or whatever, but again, when you've got people as trusted in the industry and the community as as Adam Schefter, and then you've got Alex Dunlap in the in the work. Listen, I know the work that the guys at Roster Watch put in. I, I'm they're at U.S. Army All American Games. They're at Senior Bowls. They're talking to people like people aren't saying this for like it's not just coming out of nowhere, right? Like whether we agree or disagree that Jones should be picked at three, I don't think anybody's going to disagree that he's going to be like a top twenty pick at worst. So 
Um, is it really that far outside the realm of possibility that he's selected three? But Justin Fields, that would be my choice if I were San Francisco. I think he's the he's closer to quarterback one than he is quarterback four. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, I can't I can't really give you reasons why he's slipped um, or at least appears to be slipping. But I think that's a, a, a major mistake for whatever team passes on Justin Fields. And to me, that's that's including the New York Jets. But it seems like that's what they're going to do. But I, I believe he's closer to quarterback one than he is quarterback four. Yeah, I don't really understand why the Jets would take Wilson ahead of Fields. And um, with the combination of his, that arm, I mean, that arm and that mobility and this is a guy who pretty much carved up Clemson, probably playing with broken ribs. Um, you know, the toughness he showed in that game. And like, even if this thing about him being a slow processor is true, which I, I never really saw. I mean, I'm a Big Ten guy. I watched Ohio State play a lot. I, I never thought that about him. But even if it was true, man, if you're worth a damn as a coach, as a, a coaching staff, like, coach him up, man. You can't coach up that mobility and that arm talent. Like, I don't know, man. It's, it's just weird that Listen, he, I'm, I'm Pat, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, and, and part of me is like, why, why are we just assuming, you know, what would be, what would send Twitter into absolute pandemonium is if the jets took fields at two and the Niners still took Mac Jones over Zach Wilson. I mean, it would just be I mean, that might break Twitter if that happened. Like, why? I get it. Mac, uh, 99% chance that Zach Wilson's going to be in New York. But what if he's not? What if that's the smokescreen? Because I haven't heard anybody from the Jets or anything around their situation say that that's their guy. Like, <sighs> Justin Fields, why Why wouldn't you want him? I just – I don't get it. He's a phenomenal quarterback. I All the one-read stuff, that's just BS narrative somebody made up because it's definitely not the case with fields. And if you want to make that argument, nobody was saying that shit about, you know, the quarterbacks in urban Meyer system before. So why is it, I just, he's one of the greatest high school quarterback prospects of all time, according to 24 seven sports, all he's done since going into college after some situations, some situations that if you don't know why he left Georgia or some of the things that were going on, just go look that up and, and read why he wanted to get out of there. But th the moment he stepped field on Ohio State, he was just dominant, just absolutely dominant. And I don't get why people are slotting him after Wilson or Lance or Mac Jones, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if like there's any of the the residual fear from the way Dwayne Haskins turned out, but like they're not not even close to the same player, you know, like they're just to two totally different styles, two totally different guys. Um, so how do you stack your top five in this QB class, Ray? Yeah, I've got I've got Lawrence, Fields, Lance, Jones, Wilson. But I have all, all, all of those guys as top 15 picks in the NFL draft and first round quarterbacks. Yeah, that's kind of how well I've, I've wavered on Fields versus Lance two, three. That's pretty much the only difference for me. Like, I, I think gun to my head, I'd probably go Lance, but it's really close. Um just out of curiosity, who's number six for you? I know it's a big drop off, but I've got Kellen Mond at six. Yeah, man. At least you get the mobility there, you know. Yeah, that's about all you get right now. But I'm just <laughs> <laughs> hoping he doesn't have to play for two years, and then maybe he can be something. 
Ray, uh, turning to running backs for a second, you you tweeted out this the other day. You said we have more Kenneth Dixons and Thomas Rawls in this RB class than we do Nick Chubbs and whatever other high end comps are out there. I tend to agree with you on that. Um, I guess how would you assess the overall quality of this RB class? Um, not very good. Um, un uninspiring. Uh, I don't even the top heavy in my opinion. Um, it's just it's a class where I hope if you truly needed a running back for your dynasty team, you acquired one of the six or potentially seven guys in twenty twenty because uh there's for me it's it's one guy at the top and there's a big gap between him and the other two guys and then a big gap between those two and everybody else and to be honest with you of the everybody else's I just think that we're we're doing a lot of propping up average backs because it's such a weak class where some of these guys what we're talking about is RB4 RB5, RB6 probably wouldn't be ranked inside the top 12 in 2020. Um, and there are a lot of these guys are players, Pat, where you're hoping for an injury to the starter, and then you're hoping for an injury to the backup, and then you're hoping the team doesn't bring somebody in off the streets to compete with that player to take carries away. That's what you're hoping for. Like very few of these guys are going to command opportunity from day one. And this idea that we're going to get a James Robinson every single year where rookie undrafted Jim comes in and rushes for a crazy amount of yards and is, you know, fantasy RB1 in a season is just false reality. Yeah, it does seem like a lot of dart throws beyond the top three. And, you know, maybe we're going to see some guy come from way out of the way out of the ether like master teague or stevie scott or someone crazy like that but um yeah so for you Najee harris is just number one with a bullet by a mile not even close him and everyone else yeah yeah he he's he's far and away my running back one best running back in this class and would have been a top three back for me in 2020 yeah i guess a, a guy with that body who moves the way he does and catches passes the way he does um yeah that's Impressive. So who's two for you? Is it ETN or, or Javante Williams? I've got Travis ETN at two. Um, I, I was a little disappointed in Javante Williams's uh, weight. And I know that sounds crazy, but for a player whose game is, has was predicated on physicality, running through arm tackles, bullying uh, defenders, enlisted at 220, 225 to come in at 212 pounds. I mean, it, I hope that's not his game at the next level, you know, just trying to bully and run over uh, defenders at 212 pounds. I, I was quite disappointed. If you would have asked me what would have been the more realistic outcome, you know, Javonta Williams coming in under 220 or Travis Etienne running a, you know, not running a 4-3 like everyone thought, I'd, I'd be like, there's no way Williams comes in under 220. There's the possibility that ETN doesn't run a 4-3, but no way Javonta Williams comes in weighing less than Travis ETN. Like, I just would not. And when you think about that, I mean, Javonta Williams only 11 pounds heavier than than Kenneth Gainwell? That just, it just doesn't seem right. So um, I, I moved ETN ahead of Javonta Williams, uh, and, and I'll lean on that production and, 
you know, his acceleration and whatnot. Or, but I still love, I still think Javante Williams is a good running back, but uh, just a little disappointed in his weight. Oh, I understand it, man. I mean, that style just does not match that third down back weight. You know, you want to see him in that, at least in that 220, 225 pound sweet spot that really, you know, has been kind of the sweet spot for a lot of feature type backs. And uh, I, I understand the trepidation about that. That was kind of an alarming. We had a, we had a lot of alarming pro day uh, measurements, I think, and, uh, you know, times and everything. So it, it kind of added to the uncertainty of this class. Um, so who's number four for you after those three? I know it's a steep drop off. Yeah, well, uh, I, it has been Kenneth Gainwell um, because of what he can do. In passing down situations, I do believe he's the best pass catching back in this class. I mean, he's absolutely dynamic on the outside. He kept Antonio Gibson on the bench, you know, last season. A lot of people wondering why Antonio Gibson didn't get more than 33, 33 carries in his final season. Well, it's because Kenneth Gainwell rushed for 1,400 yards and then caught passes for over 600 yards. I mean, just dynamic. Um, but 5'8", 201, I mean, that's exactly what he's going to be. It's just a third down back, and he had to gain weight to hit 201. So I'm really tempted to put Elijah Mitchell, the running back out of Louisiana up there, a player who I have been quite bullish on from the fall. I've been talking about Elijah Mitchell since the, the fall 2020 season, and for him to come in at 5'10", 201, so he dropped weight from you know, 215 to 216, drops down to 201, runs sub 4'4", in the 40 yard dash shows well in the agility drills. And again, productive at Louisiana can catch the ball, the backfield can bang between the tackles. I I just, if he gets the draft capital, I think Elijah Mitchell is going to see his, his stock skyrocket. Yeah. In a, a, with all the ambiguity with this running back class, you at least like that. He's got that pretty player profiler page, the uh, you know, the, the 97th percentile, 40 time, the, the 86th percentile speed score, 87th percentile burst score. So, yeah, and, uh, you know, doesn't take much to sell me on a raging Cajun running back coming into the league and, and doing something. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, though, you're, you're not in on him, are you? Man, that's a player who I was super high on like a year and a half, two years ago. Um you know, he's he's never been very agile. I've said that. I mean, he's he's a straight line, one cut downhill runner whose claim to fame was elite speed. You know, two time high school national champion champion in the hundred meter dash in Canada. I mean, that that was his claim to fame was speed. And he didn't test very fast or very explosive. So if your one superpower has now been exposed to a degree that we don't even believe it's a superpower anymore. What are you? You're your poor man's Tevin Coleman. You're poor man's Matt Burita. That's that's not good. That's not good. So for me, uh, as a product of a overall weak running back class, Chuba Hubbard is still inside my top ten. But I, I'm not going to overextend myself whatsoever to acquire him in rookie drafts. Yeah, and going from a 2,000-yard, 20-touchdown sophomore season to averaging, what, 4.7 yards a carry in the, the Big 12 last year, and as you said, you know, testing, what, 4.51 pro day, 40 time, uh, yeah, just really disappointing. So 
I know for me, he, he was, you know, number four, number five, pretty solidly before those testing numbers. And, and now it's just like, I don't know where to put this guy. Um, are you totally off Jamar Jefferson after his disappointing pro day? I mean, a, a 4.65, 40 at 217 pounds and a pro day time, no less. I mean, those times are usually a little more generous uh, than they are at the combine. Yep, just another disappointment. Another guy who I, I predicted could potentially run a four four at pro day, and he goes out there and runs a four six. Um, just another one of those guys that where I'm just like sure, but I don't. I'm not out on him, but I'm not overextending myself to get. I'm, I'm, I'm I mean it when I say it. I want Najee. That's who I want. If I can't get Najee Harris, then I want Etienne or Williams. If I can't get one of those guys, I'll pass on everybody else after that, and then I'll try to get Elijah Mil- Elijah Mitchell at at value after some of those other running backs come off of the board. It's that uninspiring of a running back class. Like I, I would rather have James Robinson over just about everybody in this class. I'd rather have Clyde Edwards Elaire, even though everyone thinks he's a bum, over just about every running back in this class. Like just give me one of those guys or or give me Najee Harris and Etienne and Williams to a certain degree, and that's it. Yeah, there's just not depth in this cat class. It's it's kind of bleak. Um, well, and Pat, even even the depth, right? Like, again, what are you hoping for from a Jarrett Patterson, like fantasy wise? Like, really, what it, what, what's his best case scenario at the next level? What is JV on hot? What is Kylan Hills? Absolute best case scenario, Ramondre Stevenson. They're be- like these are backups, and potentially backups of a backup that you're hoping for multiple injuries and they don't bring in competition. Like none of those guys are just going to be given the role. Like it's just not sure, happening. Sure, you but know? at, at like, least I could make a case, Ray, for like Ramondre Stevenson getting his opportunity and cashing in on it. I don't know if I can make that case for Jared Patterson, a little guy yeah. who's shown no evidence that he can catch passes at all. <laughs> I mean, bingo. I mean, so it's like, and even, you know, the little guy that we think can catch passes, we never saw Javion Hawkins do it. I mean, right. it's just, it's, it's, what are you banking on? I would, I would rather take an Elijah Mitchell or just wait until the fifth round or waiver wires and grab Chris Evans off of waivers, who at least has an athletic profile that screams, okay, this guy is at least an athlete at the position. Um, and maybe you can you stash them on taxi. Like I just, a lot of these middle tier guys, the Jeffersons, the Hubbards, and damn, even the Gainwell to a certain degree for me coming in at five eight two oh two. Like I would just rather pass on, on on majority of those guys and just wait until way later, trade back, acquire future picks, and then take an Elijah Mitchell or Chris Evans, and let's just let's see what happens. You know. Well, from one bleak subject to another, Ray, uh, I think you were originally going to be on with me back in February, but then Texas got hit with the storm of the century and all hell broke loose. So what was that deep freeze like for you and your family? What did what did you guys personally have to deal with? So, so like in Texas, anytime there's like the threat of inclement weather, whether that's a lot of rain or potential snow, it's just pure pandemonium at the grocery store. So like we're trying to, you know, buy a couple of things, you know, thinking maybe we'll get a couple of days where it's just bad. So we didn't really stock up on anything. We just kind of 
just kind of bought a few groceries and called it a day. Well, it starts snowing, right? And then it like keeps snowing and keeps snowing and then everything freezes up and just all hell broke loose. Like this, the state was under power failure. So people's like, and it wasn't like a little bit cold. It was, it was pretty damn cold. I mean, when you're talking like negative six and, and for those people who don't live in Texas, like they don't even build houses to account for that type of weather. Like pipes aren't wrapped and insulated. Nobody knows what to do. So, I mean, the roads were truly impassable. People had no power. Then we had no water. It was, it was pretty scary, man. Like, and again, I know a lot of people think it's kind of like, oh my God, y'all get one freeze and you go, well, we're not built for that. Nothing is prepared for that. People died, you know, like people, I know it sounds crazy, but trying to like just burn things in their fireplace to keep warm when you're going days without power. And it's a tragic story that, you know, somebody, a whole family like burned to death. They, they died because their house got on fire just trying to keep warm. So um, a lot of people thought it was just kind of funny, but being out here, it was when we lost power It was, and we've got two young kids, like we were like, okay, we'll close all the doors, try to keep the, the heat that we have in. Like, what are we going to do? hotels were booked you couldn't drive like it was it was pretty damn scary for like a week and a half man yeah i mean that's the thing it, it lasted you know it wasn't just a one or two day thing and i i can understand like how stressful that must have been for you and your wife with with little kids you know like i've i've got some friends in dallas who uh you know were sleeping in front of their fireplace but like their kids are away at college you know they they just had to worry about themselves they didn't have to worry about you know, the offspring. So that must have been stressful. But I have to admit, Ray, I was just trying to suppress a giggle because only now did I remember your picture of those shelves at the grocery store. And the one thing that was untouched, what, the Little Debbies? No one wanted the Little Debbies? Dude, we didn't want those Little Debbies, man. We were trying to get (laughs) barbecue sauce and they were selling like big, big ass briskets. And I'm like, who's going to smoke this thing during this it's just weird, man. But yeah, all the little, all the little Debbies were there. All of the little Debbies, no avocados, no jalapenos. Though you weren't finding avocados or jalapenos. Right, right. And and barbecue sauce, of course, readily available because I know no one uses that stuff dude, down there. I will full of barbecue sauce stacked <laughs> up. Uh, Ray, let me ask you about one other thing you tweeted about last month, and uh, this was about Lavar Ball, the the father of NBA players Lonzo and Lamelo Ball. Uh, what you said was, y'all might hate him. I don't see why, but got to give LeVar Ball credit. He spoke it, and his sons have definitely cashed that check. Y'all don't like that he keeps it real, but all he did was support and push his kids to get to the highest level and build their own brand. Respect 100%. So I think I replied with a snarky gif, but I didn't really elaborate. And I suppose it might be sort of an in interesting conversation for us to have since we both have sons. Um, I, I guess my issue with LeVar, and I don't think he belongs on the Mount Rushmore of shitty sports dads alongside Marv Marinovich, who basically trained Todd Marinovich to the point of torture and, and took away the kid's childhood. Or, uh, you know, even Earl Woods, who, who told reporters that Tiger was going to be as important a worldwide figure as Gandhi or Nelson Mandela. Uh, I guess my thing with LeVar is just fine, you know, help prepare your kids for the NBA, help market them if you want. But at a certain point, your sons are men. 
you know, let them be men and, and get the fuck out of the way. Know what I mean? Yeah, this is, I'm smiling because I just dropped a brand new show today, uh, the Black Box Show, and we actually discussed this LeVar Ball situation in relation to to his son LaMelo. And while I understand with what you're saying, not one time, not one time have you heard any one of those boys come out to say that anything that their dad did bothered them. None of them. And it wasn't scripted. It wasn't fake. Like they're asking LaMelo when he was in high school and they're like, we don't pay our dad any attention. Like, like we, the, the public had an issue with it. They never did. They Lonzo, Jello or LaMelo ever came out and said, I wish he would shut the hell up. I wish my dad would be quiet. It's like, they literally laugh at him. Like LaMelo Ball and these guys, like they're, rec- they're, they're laughing at the things that he, like they, like, I know it seems weird, but they didn't have any problem with it. And if they didn't have a problem with it, who are we to judge how somebody else should parent based on how we feel they should act? If, if, if those boys were coming out saying like, like Marinovich, like, like, I mean, and I'm, I'm looking at, you know, entertainment figures, Joe Jackson, what he did with Michael Jackson. You, you don't, you don't hear any of that from the ball boys. LaMelo Ball even came out and said, I never even like going to, to NBA games. I just like playing basketball. Like, I don't care what my dad said. He's him. I'm me. You never saw him try to get in the way. Like, yeah, he was doing shit with LaMelo and pulling him out of school. But everything you hear from Melo, he, he didn't want to go to college. He didn't want to play with those. He wanted to go pro. Like, so I just think that it was a lot of public dis- disapproval of his parenting style and some of the outlandish things that he said. I'm not making LeVar Ball seem innocent here, but who are we to judge what's going on behind closed doors at the Ball household? I just, I live by the principle that I've never count another man's pockets. I will not judge or say who should, what you should and shouldn't do with your money, nor how you should or shouldn't raise your children. And I don't think that he did anything with his boys that I wouldn't do with mine. If my two kids came to me tomorrow and said, dad, I fucking love baseball. I want to be, I want to go to the MLB. I want to play. That's all I want to do is play baseball. Pat, I'm going to do every single thing in my power. That means working out with them, pushing them, training them, sending them to camps to help them be the best versions of baseball players they can be. If they said they wanted to be chefs, I'm going to get them in the best culinary school. I'm going to make sure that they have the best fucking knives. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure they're the best chefs that they can be. And I don't, I, I can, I don't think Lamar Ball, LeVar Ball was a father in his three boys' lives, is, is a husband to his mom. Just, I mean, that's to me, that's pretty damn commendable for, in especially my community, black fathers being in the household, pushing their kids. I wish I had that kind of upbringing from my dad who was not in the household. So my viewpoint on Lamar, LeVar Ball is a lot different than others. And I don't think he did anything that outside of say stupid stuff that I went in one ear and out the other about beating Michael Jordan and stuff like that. But I don't think he did any, like I, I commended how he, what he did with his boys. Yeah. I mean, he did have sort of like at the, at the beginning, he had like almost this mutually beneficial relationship with ESPN where it was like, you know, they, they gave him attention and like, 
he gave them sort of a, con- it was almost uncomfortable. Like he gave them a convenient villain. Like, uh, I don't know, there was, it just seemed like there was almost this racial tinge to it, you know, where like ESPN like wanted to make him a story. And uh, he was their puppet for a little bit, but he yeah. wanted that though, because he, he used that platform to push his own stuff. And he sold a bunch of triple B clothes and shoes that were seemed to be a scam but as much as ESPN used LeVar Ball to help boost ratings for their show, LeVar Ball used ESPN Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. And, uh, he played them know, like a fiddle. And I, I will agree with you. Like, there's no question, no question at all. I think that he had his best, his son's best interest at heart. I mean, he was almost kind of a, a meat shield for them in a way. And like you said, they've never said anything like, you know, dad, chill the fuck out, like stand down. You know, they, we've never heard that. And, you know, I mentioned Earl Woods, like Tiger and Earl Woods were briefly kind of estranged for a while where like Tiger thought Earl was just too domineering and, and sort of, you know, gave him the stiff arm for a while. Like, you know, he had to be his own man. And, um, so yeah, I, I get your point on that. Um, Ray, one more off topic thing before we move on back to football. Tell me about the fantasy football fit club. <laughs> I mean, it's not any, it's not a real club. I think it's just, it started off with Troy King, TK King mode. Um, and, and my guy, Jordan Richards, just tagging each other during workouts. And I remember I was like, I can't believe y'all actually left me out. Cause y'all know I work out every day. And then John Hellcamp came in and was like, I want to start working out. Let's, let's just call it a fit club. And it just really started out with a couple of guys posting workouts and for accountability, like, Hey, I'm here. It's 5. AM. Where are y'all at? Let's go. You know? And next thing you know, I mean, it just, <laughs> I mean, everybody started doing it. And what the coolest thing about it is people who said that they hadn't done any kind of physical activity in a long time were like, y'all inspired me to start a walking challenge with my wife or to get up and do push-ups every day. And it really went from like us being accountable to each other to kind of the whole fantasy community being accountable to the whole fantasy community. And it's, I didn't, none of us expected it to grow like this, but um, everyone's hashtagging FFF Fit Club, FF Fit Club every single day, which is pretty damn cool. So cool to the point where I had to mute the damn hashtag because I'm getting tagged in every <laughs> post constantly. Like my phone is just being in the death. So it's pretty cool, man. Yeah, it is really cool that you guys are pumping uh, each other up and, and shout out to my guy, my new fantasy, uh, my new football guys, teammate T King, who I know dropped a bunch of weight and looks great now. So, uh, you know, good on him for keeping it going. Um, all right, Ray, what's, what's, uh, where are you at with Devonna Smith, man? I mean, does the low body mass index scare you at all? Or is the guy just a unicorn whose build shouldn't bother us. Nah, it, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, played four years at Alabama in the toughest preparation conference that you can get prior to the NFL. And he missed two games in his career. Well, two and a half games. Two games, 2018 for a hamstring strain. And then he missed the final half of the final game of his career with a thumb injury after roasting Ohio State for over 200 receiving yards and three touchdowns in the first half. So this skinny, frail kid who can't hold up was never injured in four years at Alabama, and the one injury that does knock him out of a game comes in the final game, and it's his damn thumb. I mean, 
to me, it's him and Jamar Chase at the top of the class. Both of those guys are are tier one wide receiver prospects. I don't care where they land. I think both are going to be fantasy gold. I think they're two different types of wide receivers in which they win. Uh, there's not a a better wide receiver in this class that just knows how to use his body control, the strength at the point of the catch, um, just his technique in route running, shoulder dip to avoid contact. And he's a gazelle. Like he doesn't look like he's moving extremely fast, but his legs are so long and his arms are so long. I, I believe Devontae Smith at six foot, six foot one has the same wingspan as Colin Johnson of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who's six foot six. I mean, his his catch radius is ridiculous. Um, amazing body control. And, you know, I, I think the concerns about his BMI would be one thing if he was injured constantly, but he, he's never been hurt. So, yeah, I understand that the, the NFL is a different game, but, I mean, so is college from high school. And not just college from high school. I know how difficult college was at the D2 level from high school for me. He went from high school to the highest level of competition that you can play in outside of the NFL, which is the SEC. And he's been dominant the past two seasons in the SEC. So I I think the concerns over his weight are extremely overblown. when We're seeing guys, I mean, people love Darnell Mooney. He's 5'11", 170 pounds. So I just think we're, we're, we're over, overcompensating for it, in my opinion. Turn on the damn tape and tell me that's not a baller. Yeah, they don't call Devonta the Slim Reaper for nothing. Um, and I, I mentioned this on, I was on Matt Schaff's podcast earlier today. And when people bring up the BMI thing, they mention that basically no one with such a low BMI has had success as an NFL receiver. But the thing is, I mean, there are almost no comps because Devonta is almost like a species unto himself as a body type. You know, there have been so few players like him. He's kind of a unicorn already to achieve that level of college success with that body. So maybe he's maybe he's always going to be a unicorn and don't bother telling me about, you know, Paul Richardson, Todd Pinkston and all the other skinny dudes who never broke out in the NFL. I mean, here's the thing, Ray. I, I guess I don't mind betting on a unicorn, but I have to be getting the right pot odds to borrow poker term. You know, like I, I don't I, I like Devonta. And I, I don't mind, like, I can get down with the idea that the body type doesn't matter. But I guess, like, the fact that he is kind of a rare case, I do need to be getting maybe a little better odds than, like, he's going 106 or 107 in single QB rookie drafts, according to Dynasty League football. I mean, at 111, 112, then yeah, like, I'll, I'll bet on the skinny guy. At 106 or 107, like I'm a little hesitant. I got in, man, I'm a little hesitant, like ahead of Jalen Waddell. I mean, ahead of Trevor Lawrence, even in a single QB league. I don't know if I can do it. Yeah, and I, that's the concern from a lot of people. I just, again, if, and you're right, he, he may be that outlier, but if I'm going to bet on an outlier, then I'm going to bet on the guy who just obliterated the SEC records held by one Jamar Chase in one fewer game. I mean, every single record that we marveled over Jamar Chase producing last season, Devontae Smith did that. He outproduced two first-round picks at the wide receiver position the year before. I understand that he didn't produce early, but as my man Eric Crocker, who had a stint in the NFL, said, 
it's not like he didn't play at New Mexico until his final two seasons. He was behind Calvin Ridley as a true freshman, which he caught the game-winning touchdown pass, and I'm pretty sure if he stunk, he wouldn't have been on the field in such a critical situation as a true freshman. He competed with Judy and Ruggs and Waddle in his sophomore season, but it wasn't, again, like he was just god-awful and didn't play. And then he outproduced those two first-round picks. He People want to say, well, he people can't have it both ways, okay? On one side of the coin, you hear, well, he only produced because he had all these weapons around him, so coverage was forced away from him. You can't say that. And then on the other end of the token, well, he was the only option for Alabama after Jalen Waddle got hurt, so that's why he had so much volume. Well, you can't have it both ways. Do you want to see him do it as the guy, as the focal point? And I'm telling you, I watched, go watch the LSU game. There are times when they had three defenders, three allocated to Devontae Smith. Like, that's insane levels of intention. And Ed Ogeron even said it after the game. Our goal going into the game versus Alabama was to stop Devontae Smith. We didn't care what Najee did. We didn't care what anybody else did. Do not let Devontae Smith beat us. And they could not do it. I just think he's that. You're right. He may be an outlier, but that's the outlier that I'm going to bet on. Yeah, man. Um, another outlier, Ray. And I, I know we talked about him last year, I think. Uh, I know you're a Rondale Moore fan. Like, where does he fall in your rookie wide receiver rankings? And does it bother you that he only measured 5'7", 181 pounds? Yeah, it bothers me because I thought he was 5'9". I really thought he was 5'9". And my comp for Rondell Moore has been Steve Smith since 2019. At 5'7", he's no longer Steve Smith, which isn't like the worst thing in the world. But, I mean, he's he's definitely somebody we haven't seen. At least we've seen skinny receivers produce. We've seen it. Maybe not often. But we've seen Marvin Harrison, we've seen Deshaun Jackson, we've seen Marquise Brown go in the first round. At least we've seen it. We haven't seen 5'7", 180 dominate, you know, at, at wide receiver like that. Not not the way that Rondell Moore plays. So, um, yeah, it bothers me. But, I mean, you're shooting for if he does hit his potential with what he can do out of the slot. And then if he can give you 25 carries a season, I mean – he could be just fantasy gold as well. So um, he's still at wide receiver three for me, but he's a, he's a cut below Smith and Chase. Yeah, I mean, he, he's such a special player. And, uh, I mean, like Purdue, his first year there. I mean, the 2018 season at Purdue, like that was the first time Purdue has been appointment viewing since Drew Brees was there. I mean, like to watch that guy every week was just a treat. And, um, you know, at, at five, seven, I just worry that is he going to be Tavon Austin now, a, a return guy and then basically a, a gadget guy in an offense who gets a handful of carries, a, you know, a handful of catches, but you kind of never know when they're going to be and you can't really trust him in your lineup. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it bothers me a little bit, too. Uh, I'm with you. I, I love the guy. Um kind of got my fingers crossed that maybe the Chiefs take him at the end of the first round. Like, that'd be fun. They seem to have a type. And, uh, you know, maybe if they're convinced Mecole isn't the guy. But, man, yeah, I would have liked to see him be 5'9", too. Yeah, that hurt. That hurt. I mean, the the 5'7 tag definitely hurt. I can't 
I can't say it any other way, but I, I, I just think that he, he, he is a very, very special, special talent, but we want to see some draft capital and a player like Rondell Moore. we got to be honest. We want to see landing spot to a certain degree, right? We're not going to go full AJ Brown fade. We learned our lesson from doing that, but we, we do want to see because it's going to take a creative, it's going to take a creative offense, a creative play caller to really get the most out of Rondell Moore. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Ray, I was eavesdropping on an interesting Twitter conversation between you and Rich Rebar and I think Cody Carpentier of Player Profiler the other day about the Harbaugh handicap at Michigan. And uh, hey, I'm a Big Ten guy. I hate Michigan. And you don't have to make the case to me that Jim Harbaugh sucks. I mean, there is a pile of evidence that he is a mediocre coach. And maybe just maybe his offenses are holding back Michigan draft prospects. I mean, I saw Shea Patterson go from being a sophomore stud at Ole Miss against SEC competition to being just a puddle of goo by the end of his career at Michigan. And I mean, I thought Donovan Peoples-Jones sucked at Michigan and DPJ looked really promising last year with the Browns. So I guess where this is leading me, Ray, are people maybe underselling Nico Collins as a result of the Harbaugh handicap? I mean, it seems like no one in the Twitter draft community at all has expressed any enthusiasm about Nico. Shit, me and my boy Ryan Lopes love us some Nico Collins, man. That's still Ryan5 on Twitter. Man, heck yeah, Nico's talented, man. And when you even look at his numbers, I mean, and I don't have him pulled up right in front of me, but I believe back-to-back seasons with sub-40 receptions, but he had like 600, close to 700 receiving yards on like 37, 39 grabs. Ultra-talented high school prospect. Uh, pretty, I think he had decent athleticism at his pro day. Uh, pretty solid athleticism for his size. Uh, he's a player that I, I'm very much interested in. The Harbaugh handicap is real, man. I mean, you're talking about Shea Patterson, Joe Milton this season. There were some high hopes for Joe Milton, and he just tanked. Zach Charbonnet, former five-star recruit, transfers out to UCLA. They're running Hassan Haskins, who was a, a linebacker. He's running as the primary ball carrier. Uh, Tariq Black transfers out. We don't see any of these tight ends develop. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, offensively, they're just not good. They run these stupid plays, and he tries these idiotic formations, and there's just no kind of rhythm or consistency to that offense. It's 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 pathetic. I think any Michigan player coming out under Harbaugh is probably going to be a value because of how they operate in that offense. Yeah, um, and you even mentioned Chris Evans earlier, and uh, like you said, in this in this running back class, just give me the athletic numbers, you know, and maybe maybe he was screwed up at Michigan and and you know, could actually have this uh, second wind in the NFL. So I'm kind of with you there, man. I mean, I, I don't think people should be fading Nico that much. Like, and even in a good, you know, solid, deep wide receiver class, I, I think, you know, you could probably get him what in the third round of a, a rookie dynasty draft. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think he's a pretty good bet there. Um, yeah. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with him. All right, Ray, quick one. Last last round of your dynasty rookie draft, and you're trying to decide which receiver to take a flyer on. Who you got? Simi Fajoko, Josh, Emader Bebe, 
the Illinois kid. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I don't know either. Or Dax Milne. (laughs) Why would you give me this disgusting lineup of receivers that are never going to be fantasy relevant? Um, Pat, this is evil. Give me the Josh Ima Bear Bay. Give me the guy who jumped like 50 inches. Yeah, give me him. Give me give me the fifty inch vertical jump, the four one forty yard dash. Give me that guy. At least at least he can run fast and jump high. But Dax is no, and uh, the the first guy that you said, uh, from Stanford, right? Yeah, yeah, he's all right, but I, mean, I don't want any of those guys. But I'll take the super athletic freak. I'm I'm not going to implicate anyone here, but I've actually seen sales pitches on all three of those dudes at some point in the last week or two. So you can Uh, tell we're getting close to the draft when people are hyping guys like that. Can we just get there and get over with? Get this shit over with. We need to move on. My goodness. I know. Ray, what what was your take on the Sam Darnold trade? Are you a, a believer in Darnold still? Do you think the Panthers still have any chance where they might look at a quarterback in the draft? Yeah, I mean, what if Trey Lance is sitting there? I don't think Darnold should preclude them from taking Trey Lance. Um, I think this is the best situation Darnold will have been in for sure. But I'm also a very big believer, for the most part, quarterbacks don't just change their stripes. Sam Darnold was turnover prone at USC, and I'm a USC Trojans fan for life. Like, loved it. He was turnover prone at USC. He made a bunch of boneheaded moves week in and week out at USC. We saw that in New York. He had flashes of some awesome plays, but I mean, I think that's what he is. Uh, he's he's gonna he's gonna have to deal with Tampa Bay's defense twice a year. He's gonna have to deal with Marshawn Lattimore and Cam Jordan twice a year. Like I just, I don't think he's just gonna go there and just magically turn it all around. But this will be his best chance to do it. But I, I think this is it for Darnold. Either he's gonna show well early and still salvage his career. Or if he flames out in year one, that's that's the end of Sam Darnold. And it's pretty sad that only 20, still only 23 years old, that he may, if he doesn't perform early well, that might be it for a 24-year-old quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a real interesting test case because you can definitely play that narrative about going from Adam Gase to working with Joe Brady, uh, you know, a, a ultimate QB whisperer and... You know, we've seen just enough flashes from Darnold, I think, to keep us interested with the Jets. But you you make that good point about how he has been turnover prone going back to college. So, um, yeah, this is going to be interesting. And it's also going to be interesting to see what they do if Trey Lance is still on the board when it comes to them. Um, Ray, it seems like people have been fleeing the Josh Jacobs bandwagon ever since the Raiders signed Kenyon Drake. Do you think that's a mistake? Sure, because he's still going to be the starting running back. But I, I, I think that ignoring Josh Jacobs is a mistake. As I mean, ignoring Kenyon Drake is a mistake as well. Um, I don't think I'd be full on fade Josh Jacobs, but uh, I'm definitely not all in either. I mean, Kenyon Drake is is a problem, but I still think that Josh Jacobs is the guy. So, yeah, that's where I'm at with that situation. You know, Jacobs. Got to give Jacobs the edge, but Kenyon Drake is going to get work. That's why they brought him there. I like how tough Jacobs is, but it seems like Gruden only wants to use him as a battering ram, and that's it. Like, no real interest in expanding his, giving him any sort of meaningful role in the passing game. And that's kind of an issue. Yeah. I, and it's crazy because Jacobs is like 
claim out of college was his third down ability and his ability right. to catch the ball. He doesn't even doesn't get used in that capacity. It's it's very strange. They the only player they seem to know how to use the right way is Darren Waller. I know you were kind of a, a Jalen Rager supporter last year. Uh, where are you at with him now after the the QB change? Um, even if we like Jalen Hurts as a fantasy asset, should we like or dislike what he does for Rager's value? Well, the thing with Rager is, you know, all throughout the camp, all we heard were positive things about how he looked during the abbreviated training camp. Then he goes out there week one and in the first quarter, you know, catches a 55-yard bomb from Carson Wentz over the shoulder, beautiful throw and catch, and it looked like it was just going to be wheels up. The Eagles' offensive line falls apart. Rager breaks his damn wrist, doesn't do anything. Wentz is stinking it up. Uh, Rager comes back, can't do anything, getting pushed out of bounds. Um, But all through the while, uh, there were games where he led the team in targets like multiple times. They were still trying to get him involved. I think he's definitely better suited in a number two wide receiver role, which is fine. I mean, we need wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes, flexes than an alpha number one. And I think that having a legitimate pass catcher next to him, whether that be a Devonta Smith or somebody else's, will only help him more so than Travis Fulgham and, and Quez Watkins and Greg Ward. So I do expect Philadelphia to try to right their Justin Jefferson wrongs of last year and draft a wide receiver early. And if it is Devonta Smith, I think that's good for Rager The bigger issue for any pass catcher in Philadelphia is how much passing volume is actually going to be there with Jalen Hurts starting at quarterback. Another one of those cases where great for fantasy, how good for the NFL team. Well, we had a four-game sample size, and I think there were two games where he had quite a few passing yards and then another two where he didn't do much at all. So which Jalen Hurts are you going to get? Um, But here's the thing. this is Jalen Hurts has probably got this season as well, so let's just take – Worst case scenario, he doesn't perform, and then Philadelphia is looking for a quarterback in 2022, a quarterback that can actually throw the ball from the pocket, so that could be good for all the pass catchers. Or Hertz does really well in a limited passing role, high rushing role, and it just kind of zaps the upside. Somebody's going to suffer. Goddard, Rager, and a number one wide receiver that they bring in, if they do that, all three of those guys aren't going to produce. So who's going to suffer? We'll see. Yeah, I like that take. I mean, I still like Rager as a prospect, but I don't know if I like the way things are falling there. And, and you know, again, pot odds here, like pot odds. I just, you got to consider that possibility of a, a bust on that where it just, things don't break his way and the targets don't go the right way. I don't know. Um, all right, Ray, last thing. When I have you back on the show a year from now, and I will have you back, which prospects are you going to be getting me hyped about? Which guys in the class of 22 are really getting your juices flowing? You are a Debbie guy after all. You're on these guys early. So who are we going to be talking about next year? Uh, well, the quarterbacks are good. Howell and Spencer Rattler. I think there's a, a, a nice crop of running backs. Brees Hall from Iowa State, Eric Gray, Oklahoma, Isaiah Spiller, Texas A&M, and Kyron Williams from Notre Dame. But I think the player that the the community, the the football world is going to learn their name this season is Arkansas wide receiver Traylon Burks. He's oh, the my big number fella. One, yeah, he's my number one ranked wide receiver in the 2022 class. Um, he actually dropped weight. He played about 6'2", 230, 232 last year. He came into spring camp, 
at 224 pounds. Um, he's from Arkansas. He hunts hogs with a knife and they special order his gloves because he wears five XL gloves. He returns punts with his hands. Like he doesn't cradle the ball. He just grabs it out of the air. And I'm not even joking. Like he just like catches the punts out of the air at six foot two, 230 pounds. You got a wide receiver um, who I don't think there will be any disagreement from the analytics community because the age adjusted production is there on a horrible Arkansas team. And then the BMI is not going to be a concern at six foot two, 220 plus pounds projected to run in the four or fives in the 40 yard dash. Just a special, special wide receiver. And coming off of a class with a bunch of slot guys and little guys, we should look forward to 2022 because we got quite a few guys, six foot two, six three, six four, six five, that can absolutely go get it in 2022. Yeah, bring on the 230 pound guy with the five X gloves, man. That's who I want. I'll get my slot receivers this year. Then then give me <laughs> then give me the big man next year. Uh, Ray, I know I can always count on you to come on this show and spit fire. Thanks for coming back, my friend. Appreciate you having me. Sorry it took so long, but you know, Mother Nature, man. We had the uh, Snowvid 19 here in Texas. What can I do? <laughs> no worries. Hey, uh, before I let you run, can you tell everyone where they uh, can find you? Yeah, find me on Twitter at RayGQ. Uh, follow the show, Destination Debbie Podcast, everywhere they're found. YouTube, Destination Debbie Channel. And if you want exclusive access to me and my Debbie community, rankings, all that other good stuff, patreon.com forward slash all gas. Thanks again, Ray. Appreciate you. And that's it for this week. My thanks once again to our guest, the pride of Chadron State, Ray Garvin. Find him on Twitter at RayGQ. That's Ray G-Q-U-E. Fits on Fantasy is produced, as always, by Mr. Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And check out the excellent Rotoviz Overtime podcast that Calm hosts, along with Sean Siegel. Big thanks to my friend and colleague, Melissa Jacobs, owner and operator of TheFootballGirl.com. Find her on Twitter at TheFootballGirl. Thank you to International Jet Set for the music. And hey, my thanks to all of you for letting me blabber in your ear. If you found it to be an agreeable way to pass the time and wanted to rate and review the show, hey, I wouldn't object in the slightest. And please be sure to stop back again next week when I'll be joined by another terrific guest. So long, everyone. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in, are you?